And now, there might be only half of Mackling and McGarry, but it's going to be twice the show. It's Greg Mackling, everybody. Oh, thanks for setting the expectations. Tristan Field-Jones. How can I not have high expectations with you, Greg? Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, The Couch Potatoes are on holidays this week. No Jeff Braun, no Brett McGarry. Greg Mackling with you until 10 o'clock this morning. And I don't know what you were doing Friday night. I was at my kid's baseball game and uh, listening to the sweet sounds of Bob Irving and Doug Brown. Strebler in the gun. Dembski and Dressler in motion. Strebler back. Montreal comes with a blitz. Here's a throw to Dembski in the end zone. Touchdown. Nick Dembski outmaneuvered the defensive back and caught that ball for a touchdown. Winnipeg Blue Bombers all over. The Montreal Alouettes 56-10. Chris Strebler with an incredible game for the Blue Bombers on Friday night. The Bombers play Hamilton in Hamilton Friday night, 6 o'clock kickoff. And I have to ask this question. Do we have a quarterback controversy brewing? I know you don't really like controversy at all behind the glass, Jerry, but this is going to proved to be interesting <laughs> as we work towards Matt Nichols' return as quarterback of the Blue Bombers. You just broke the radio station. I did. You literally broke the radio station. I'll let you deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll ask the question, do I'm gl- we have... <laughs> I'm glad I caught that. <laughs> yeah, well, just hold it like that for the next four hours. Work with one hand. I wish I could paint this picture for you. I, you know what I should do? I should take a picture for you, and I'm going to tweet it out. Right. Follow me on Twitter, gmac at cjob.com. I'm sending out a picture of what happened to Behind the Glass Jerry. His microphone quite simply has fallen off its mounting, and he's holding it in the air. What is that, about a three-piece, three-foot piece of metal there? I'm going to do my Freddie Mercury impression now. Oh, yeah. Hey, do it. Stand up. You're going to have to throw it around. There we go. There There we go. go. I can do a Freddie Mercury. (laughs) We're all good. Fantastic. (laughs) With Chris Trevler doing what he's doing, Matt Nichols, the incumbent, you have to wonder about the conversation amongst fans because I was getting it already on Saturday night. I was getting it late Friday night. What are the Bombers going to do when Matt Nichols is healthy? Uh, Matt Nichols will play, period. Yeah, you don't lose your position. You don't lose your starting job to an injury, but it means the Blue Bombers will be able to rest a little easier. Exactly. Deep breath. Ah, they don't have to rush Nichols back. Uh, The coach will be in studio tonight. I imagine this topic might come up between 7 and 8 tonight. Bob Irving and Mike O'Shea on the Coaches Show, 7 till 8 p.m. tonight on 680 CGOB. Speaking of Bob Irving, he will join us at 8.05 to recap what happened in Montreal last Friday and look ahead to what happens or what might happen this Friday in Hamilton. And speaking of the Blue Bombers... Were you listening to the pregame show? Look for and listen for your cue to call. Every Bomber pregame broadcast features a player profile. If you were listening on Friday night, you know who that player profile was of. When Jerry and, oh, you fixed it already. When Jerry manages to play that sounder and when he digs it up, it'll be later on this morning. That's all I'm going to tell you. You'll have 10 minutes to text 7806868, the last name of the player that Kelly Moore featured on the Blue Bomber player feature. It's, uh, well, we have a Banjo Bowl VIP experience on the line. You get tickets to the Banjo Bowl, on-field game day experience, 
and a Blue Bomber jersey with the name of the Blue Bomber or maybe your own number and name on your Blue Bomber jersey. And we want to send you to that game, the Banjo Bowl, Saturday, September 8th. Okay, so that'll be coming up this morning. What else do we have today? We've got a busy, busy show for you. Um, I got a new Apple Watch for Father's Day last Sunday, and it's become my new overlord. Tells me when to stand. Tells me when I'm sitting too long. Tells me when to move. And Jerry, it gives me like pseudo applause when I reach these certain goals every day. I don't know whose goals they are because I didn't set the parameters for these goals. They're default goals. Okay. Well, I'm making them quite minimally. I was super busy this weekend though. We cleaned out of our our, our basement and everything came out of our basement because the carpet's coming up today. So we got one of those pods in the driveway, put all our stuff in there from the basement. Well, I didn't wear my Apple watch because... I didn't want it to get damaged, so it recorded none of my steps, none of my staircases, nothing. So I lost out on all that positive reinforcement I was going to get from my new digital master. Yeah, I I hate those days when I forget to wear my Fitbit. It's like I, I just wasted an entire day. I wasted right? all those steps. Right. And no one, I've, I've got nothing to show for it. <laughs> My electronic conscience, I'm calling it. Yeah, exactly. It's, if if I forget to wear it, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to sit today. I'm not. I'm not going to do anything. I know you got some time outside this weekend. Any mosquitoes uh, out and about? None. I did not see one mosquito. I didn't get bit by one mosquito. It was great. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Give me your slap count. We were in East St. Paul Saturday night, and it wasn't too bad. But around ten thirty, they were starting to come out a tiny bit. Uh, but my very first mosquito bite of the year. So it's not too often that you get to almost July uh, without a, a mosquito landing on you at the very least and a mosquito bite at the most. And I don't know if it's a time to rejoice or a time to cringe because it's the last week of school. Of course, the kids are going to love it. Parents, uh, probably 50-50, maybe 10-90, if I'm being more honest. It's a stressful time of year because you got to figure out what to do with your kids all summer. You know, I haven't been in school in, uh, I'm going to say, 20 years now. You go with that. Um, And it still feels magical. Does it? That that last week of school, to me, it's just, I still feel for those kids, and, and I can just feel their excitement, and... I get all caught up in it. Well, you are a kind gentleman. Uh, as a parent, let me tell you this. It's uh, the, the the meter's ticking all summer long <laughs> for camps and for driving them here, there, and everywhere, trying to figure out what uh, they can do to keep themselves occupied. So uh, I know a lot of you are in the same boat as I am. So uh, for the kids celebrating the last week of school, I uh, cheers you for the parents who are lamenting the fact that we have eight weeks of figuring out what to do with our kids. I'll cheers you, and then we'll <laughs> we'll share the drink. <laughs> We're going to talk beer a little bit later on as well this morning. Imagine that. Brett McGarry's uh, not here, but we will uh, we will we will talk about the uh, the uh, the yellow nectar of the gods. It's Mackling and McGarry. Sons McGarry. <laughs> a little bit too epic of a return, I think, that music. You think? All right, I'll kill it. Oh, wait, it's not for me. Wait, it's not for me. It's for the story. There we go. There we go. Back up. (laughs) Keep the music going as long as you want, Jerry. If you're paying attention, last week you may have heard this. President Donald Trump announced his intention, or did he, to create a sixth arm of the American military. 
Speaking to military personnel at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar in San Diego, California, Trump at the very least introduced the idea that the U.S. should create something he's calling a space force. My new national strategy for space recognizes that space is a warfighting domain, just like the land, air, and sea. We may even have a space force. We'll develop another one. Space force. We have the Air Force. We'll have the Space Force. We have the Army, the Navy. You know, I was saying it the other day because we're doing a tremendous amount of work in space. I said, maybe we need a new force. We'll call it the Space Force. And I was not really serious. And then I said, what a great idea. Maybe we'll have to do that. That could happen. That could be the big breaking story. Look at all those people back there. Look at that. Oh, that fake news. They know, they understand. I was going to tell them to talk. So think of that. Space Force, because we're spending a lot and we have a lot of private money coming in. Tremendous. You saw what happened the other day and tremendous success. From the very beginning, many of our astronauts have been soldiers and sailors, airmen, Coast Guardsmen, and Marines. And our service members will be vital to ensuring America continues to lead the way into the stars. We're going to lead the way in space. We're way, way behind, and we're catching up fast. So fast that nobody even believes it. I want to know what he believes. It sounds like something. What's he calling it again? Space Force. (laughs) It sounded, A, like he was making it up as he was talking about it, or it had coffee that morning and just mentioned, you know, maybe we need something like uh, Space Force. (laughs) <laughs> or similar. And and it's the fake news media that's there recording his words that is, you know, it's it's all our fault, right? On Wednesday, a lively cra- crowd chanted, space, force, space, force, as Donald Trump addressed a rally in Duluth, Minnesota, claiming his government is reopening NASA. I didn't know it was closed. We're reopening NASA. We're going to be going to space. Space Force. Space Force. So we have the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard. But we have the Air Force. Now we're going to have the Space Force because it's a whole... The Space Force to go with the cyber. Remember he was talking about uh, cybersecurity, the, the, just the cyber. So he went from, eh, maybe we will, maybe we won't. It was something I was talking about, to now we definitely are going to have it. So yesterday on CNN's program, Fareed Zakaria's GPS, renowned astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson says he has little confidence that, quote, we'll all be friends, unquote, once political tensions arise in outer space. Do you think it's inevitable that space becomes an arena for conflict? The, the UN Space Treaty that promises peaceful uses of outer space. By the way, there's more than just no nukes in space. It's, it's if, there's an, if there's an astronaut in need, 
from another country, then you're obligated to assist them. It's, it's, it's a very nicely worded document. But I've always, there's a part of me that always says, why do we promise we'll treat each other nicely in space? If that's successful, why don't we have a peaceful use of Earth tree? <laughs> if, if it works there, it seems to me it should right, work on right, Earth. Right, right. And if we can't get it to work on Earth, right. why should I have any confidence at all that somehow, oh, now we're in space, now we'll all be right, friends. Right, right. But why would the arena make a difference? It's the political tensions that cause the rivalry. And I know I sound cynical saying that, but I, human nature scares the hell out of me. And uh, so I'm... So I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it'd be nice if peace in space led the way to peace on Earth. That'd be kind of good. When you're in space, you have a very different view of Earth. Earth is like, whoa, how come I don't see the color-coded countries that were in my schoolroom globe? Oh, because we made those lines. We, they're artificially created. We're humans on the speck of a planet we call Earth. And, and it seems so small and fragile. Oh, yeah, because it is small and fragile. <laughs> it doesn't seem that way. It is small and fragile. Regardless of your feelings for CNN or Freed Sicaria, for that matter, it's probably a good idea to pay attention to DeGrasse Tyson on most of the issues he discusses. But uh, just what did you mean by that crack about the Earth being gone? Oh, uh, I'm going to blow it up. It obstructs my view of Venus. It does? That's a shame. Come on, Bugs, you can save the Earth. You can do it. Where's the kaboom? <laughs> there was supposed to be an Earth-shattering kaboom. The Illudium Pew 36 explosive space modulator. That creature has stolen the space modulator. Oh, oh. Goodness. Marvin the Martian and the Q36 space modulator. You you do a little good, Marvin. The Illudium Q36 explosive space modulator. <laughs> That's behind the glass, Jerry. I'm Greg Mackling, Tristan Field Jones, Kelly Moore, and Shanalee Vidal joining us in studio. We were telling you about Donald Trump's plans, not plans. They seem to solidify themselves over about 48 hours. I guess the napkin kind of, you know, got well-defined all the information on there. So Space Force, <laughs> a sixth arm of the U.S. military. Is this a good idea, bad idea for any country, Tristan Field-Jones? I, I want in. I want to be part of the Space Force. Yeah. I want to go talk to people and say, I work for the Space Force. <laughs> I think the outfits would be awesome. Yeah, I, now here's the thing. I realize that if I were part of any military organization, I'd be used as ca cannon fodder. But still, it, to say that I served in the Space Force. Give him a red cool. shirt. Yeah, exactly. Actually, oh, I'm, I'm wearing a beige shirt today, but uh, Kelly's wearing the red shirt today. The borrow mine. <laughs> You're in, Kelly. Is this a good idea? I, I'd i like to know a little bit more about it and uh, maybe what exactly the perimeters or parameters are. Well, okay, rather. so then what's your first response to, to a oh, president boy. or the leader of any country talking about the establishment of such a thing? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that wasn't you thinking. That's your immediate first response. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> Especially when it's you-know-who. Shanalee Vidal? Uh, when I hear the term space force and military, I get super nervous, especially if it's Donald Trump. Um, and so 
I, I have nothing against, you know, going up into space, doing research. I think that's very important. We've learned so much. Sure. But then we get into all these other issues. Making it a branch of the military, I just, I feel a little sick to my stomach. I, I you know, I mean, I know we do have that whole treaty where we can't have intergalactic war, but what do treaties but, but mean? But it's Space Force. Like, no, how, how cooler can it no. be space for? And, and no. thing is, nobody can own outer space. Here's here's how it can be cooler. Every time we say it, this should be rule one of space force. Every right. time we say it, it has to be said like this: space force. I like it. I'm on board. So I'm on board to, with that. I need a mug. You have to have the voice modulator in order to say space force. <laughs> Forgive me my cynicism, but do you think this is maybe also you know trying to distract attention a little bit from the matters of last week? You know what? I hadn't really thought of that, Kelly. What, the what, master of distraction, Donald Trump added again. You know, you never know, right? Yeah, I just, and that's exactly it. As much as uh, you know, people question some of the things that come out of his mouth and some of the thinkings that come out of his brain. He is an intelligent man, so you know, there. Uh, I, I think there might be some motivation at work here too. That's, but that's just my cynical self speaking out loud. Now, so, just, what are you talking about? The only thing that matters is Space Force. Exactly. Tristan's See, he blinded has by this. He has you. By we were the... blinded in uh, Duluth, Minnesota, too, chanting uh. Space Force, Space Force, Space Force. <laughs> hey, uh, does anybody know which movie this is? To quote a movie, this is at 780-6868, getting in on the chit-chat. To quote a movie, where did you get that gun? Don't bring guns into space. Anybody know that one? No, no one at the no. table. Uh, somebody clarify that one, 780-6868. I've got a picture here, quite frankly, from the internet, so it must be real. It's uh, <laughs> a, a Boeing. They've got something that looks uh, decidedly like, is it the USS Enterprise? Is, is that the Star Trek ship? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and they're working on it at Boeing, so you know what? This has been in the planning for a long time. They're already almost done this ship here. So will Space Force be based out of the moon or Mars or Venus? I or don't know. It sounds Neptune like it's or? open for proposals at this oh, point in okay. time because it's kind of short on details. How about Elon Musk was going to Mars? He was going to live on Mars or something like that. Was he, wanted to set, he wanted to – his goal is in 100 years to have a million people living on Mars – and here's the thing, from somebody like Elon Musk, I would believe that mm-hmm. because we've seen the stuff that he's accomplished. I, I mean, when, when you look at the long-term picture on a serious note when it comes to the Space Force thing, sure, you know, we, we're probably never going to be around to see Earth have any sort of actual uh, fleet, if you will, of space vessels. we got a small one right now. But the fact is, I think it is inevitable centuries from now that we will colonize other planets and eventually travel to other stars. So I think it is inevitable that... You will you will eventually have people, space pirates. I know it sounds ridiculous, but you will have people, criminals out there, and eventually we will militarize what's you know what's above our heads. I, oh, but sadly, I have to agree with Tristan. It's it's, it's oh. only a matter of time before that happens. And well, well, we've been flying off the ground as human beings in mechanical devices for just over a hundred years. What is it, about a hundred and eight years? Nineteen oh three, I think, is right? the first flight. Fifteen yeah. years, something like that, right? And so in 115 years, we're having conversations about going to other planets, yet there are still people on the planet who have a hard time imagining that there might be intelligent life elsewhere that have visited us in contraptions that might 
have learned how to fly 10, 20,000, a million years ago. Does that not sound a little contradictory when we're sitting here having a conversation about we're going to live, we're going to put a million people on Mars in the next hundred years, and we've only been flying for just over a hundred years, and we're going to go to another planet, but nobody's come here? why, Why is Mars ours to colonize? It's a great question. I don't know if it is. Who decided? And what's scarier, a guy like Elon Musk, who has all this money, deciding we're going to Mars, or the leader, one of the leaders of the free world, uh, Kelly, deciding that we're going to have this space force. What's scarier? Yeah, well, you know, and the other thing that uh, we have to take a look at, too, is you've just talked about the fact that we've been flying for 115 years, but look at the advances that we have made. Oh, I know. know, and, Mm -hmm. And I would suggest even in the last 30 years. Right, you know, and and so these advances come very very quickly. So I, I don't think anything can be ruled out of the game. And as far as leaders of the free world, you know, I, if they want to do it up there, that's fine. Do it up there as long as we're still okay down here. Yeah, well, that's, that's I know that's probably wishful not, thinking. Well, wishful thinking, yeah, pie in the sky. I was going to say, but I didn't want that to sound like. Yeah, a but pie. that's quite literally <laughs> pie in the sky. Well, and, and kind of Greg, to to address your point of uh, you know why haven't we, assuming there are other intelligent civilizations out there, and why haven't we been visited yet? There are tons and tons of theories out there as to why that hasn't been the case, and a lot of them make you know a lot of them are kind of interesting. One of them, one of the fascinating proposals is that what if we are actually the most advanced species out there oh, that good. has range? Oh, good God. Well, think about it for a second. <laughs> just just think about it and uh, have I fun did. sleeping tonight. Yeah. We're, the, we're the most advanced? <laughs> well, well you're, you're, you're assuming that uh, there isn't already someone here from another planet. Oh. oh dear, <laughs> and, and exactly. Maybe, maybe we were visited. Maybe maybe it was deemed that we were less intelligent and we were not worth it. Well, Jerry's you know? uh, They just did a flyby and they said, yeah, not going there. They're just, <laughs> you know, I mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Good flyover country, right? Yeah. The dogs and the cats rule that planet anyway. Uh, by the way, the movie, according to Neil, is Independence Day. About not allowing guns into space. Mackling, McGarry, no McGarry, but we have Tristan Field Jones, Shannon Levidale, Kelly Moore. Thanks for joining us in studio this morning and keep those text messages coming. A space force, or as Jerry would say, Space Force. Is it a good idea or a bad idea? Canada's beer standards may soon change, forcing brewers to list every ingredient. I'm Greg Mackling. No Brett McGarry this week, but we're going to talk about beer. Your beer is about to undergo a government makeover. Federal officials are proposing changes to national beer standards that would widen the number of ingredients permitted in a pint and force brewers to list every ingredient on a can or bottle. Even the Canadian definition of beer would change. And Stephen Beaumont joins us now. He is the author of 13 books on beer, including the latest, Will Travel for Beer. And Stephen, I thank you for taking some time with us early on a, on a Monday morning. Good morning, Greg. Thank you uh, again. And uh, it's not that I'm the resident beer expert, uh, but I think there's a perception that uh, Brett is the expert and and I just come along for the ride. I I love my beer too. So I want to make sure that's perfectly clear. What could these changes mean exactly, Stephen? Well, what what they really come down to is the regulations uh, finally kind of catching up to what's happening in the industry. 
Uh, I've been writing about beer for almost 30 years now, and the regulations in Canada are unchanged in that entire period. So if you look at uh, an equivalency of that, it's like trying to use analog rules to govern a digital age. They just the whole market's different than what they were designed to be. So is there or are there ingredients in microbrews or independent breweries in in their beer uh, that are undesirable to consumers? Not undesirable at all, actually. Uh, What they do is a lot of these uh, ingredients and processes create beer that doesn't really adhere to the way the guidelines are established. I mean, we're talking about guidelines that were set up to govern the creation of blue and Canadian and, you know, maybe 50 and Bredor. Uh, Not a lot of variation in those beers. So there's actually a line in there that says that beer has to conform to a typical uh, look, smell, and taste of beer. And there are a lot of beers in the market right now that, you know, if you use that convention as the way that you're establishing what beer is and what beer isn't, mm-hmm. they wouldn't adhere to that. So, Stephen, is this the larger breweries, the interbrews of the world, uh, trying to flex their muscle a little bit and to uh, sort of flip the, flip the game, to flip the board here on uh, these craft breweries? Well, here's where it gets interesting, because... I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but their potential is this. If the breweries decide that what they want to do is lobby the government for what they're calling an expansion of the guidelines, but actually would be a restricted expansion. So in other words, they're, they're willing to take it so far, but not as far as the creativity of the craft brewers go. Um, And they're successful in doing that plus the government decides to enforce these regulations, theoretically that could lead to a reduction in the variety of beer. It would be a very cynical ploy and it's not something I, I think is necessarily going to happen, but you know, I, I can't get that thought out of the back of my head. Yeah, I, I can't blame you. Uh, craft breweries and craft brews are, are certainly capturing a large portion of the market, but it's still a small percentage. But I can only imagine being uh, at a board of directors meeting for these large breweries and going, uh, we don't like to le- lose any market share. And uh, so this has got to be concerning to the to the larger breweries that are based in Canada or based elsewhere that sell beer in our country? Well, the reality is that um, the Canadian beer market has either been stagnant or slightly shrinking for many years now. Um, and within that context, we've added about 800 breweries, some of them of a, you know, a decent size, not mega massive international brewery size, but not a, not a bad size. So there, the, the only conclusion from that is that the big breweries are actually dropping market share because that somewhere beer drinkers are turning to these craft brewers and turning away from the big brewers. So, yeah, that, I mean, if you're an Anheuser-Busch InBev or a Molson Coors executive, that has to be a concern to you. Stephen Beaumont, he's the author of 13 books on beer and his latest is Will Travel for Beer. We should ask you before we let you go, Stephen, where do you like to travel for beer? If you were giving me a destination where I could sort of have a festival of flavors, as it were, for beer, where would you send me? 
Well, you know, the current marketplace internationally, it's almost anywhere. But I've got to say, I was just over there a few weeks back, and Belgium is still a pretty exceptionally exciting area to to visit to travel for beer. You just had our producer, Jerry Richardson. We call him behind the glass, Jerry, affectionately. He was jumping up and down through his hands in the air because we know that Jerry <laughs> loves the Belgian brews. Why do you love them so much, Jerry? Oh, there's just so much flavor in a Belgian Trappist beer. It's just unbelievable. I love it. And it and it's the the variety in Belgium which is extraordinary. Everything from these tart, complex, champagne like lambiques to, as Derry said, you know, these these intense, deep um, Trappist ales. There's just there's so much going on in Belgium. Stephen, have you been to Winnipeg yet to uh, taste our uh, beer fair here? I have, um, and, and I'm overdue for a return visit, so that's on the on the agenda for uh, the coming months. Well, we will uh, we will make sure we keep track of your itinerary, and please uh, make sure to come and visit us face to face if you wouldn't mind. We'd love to meet you. Love to do that. Thank you, sir. Stephen Beaumont joining us this morning. Changes could be coming for the labeling of beer. In fact, the very definition could of what a beer is could change. Stephen Beaumont, author of 13 books, his latest is Will Travel for Beer. Where do you like to travel for beer? 780-6868. David Tate is the chairman of Flair Airlines. They're expanding service across Canada. And uh, David joins us now. Good morning, Mr. Tate. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, David. Thank you for taking some time with us this morning. Greatly appreciated. Tell us before we go any further, for, for the uninitiated, tell us a little bit about Flair Airlines. Well, Flair is an airline that's been around for, for over a dozen years or so now, but we in the last year we transitioned from being an old charter operator to a scheduled carrier. So we now have... Uh, coast-to-coast travel from from Winnipeg to, to you name it, where, where do you want to go? We'll, we'll take you as far as uh, Victoria going to the left side, and we'll take you to, uh, to Halifax. Well, actually, the connection doesn't work too well to Halifax, but we'll take you to Hamilton going the other way. So from, from Winnipeg, we now have uh, service to uh, direct service uh, to Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Hamilton, and we can take you to Victoria and, and, and Kelowna as well with a connection. So, well, you said two cities there that I would go east to Halifax, and I don't mind stopping in Halif- and Hamilton. My brother-in-law is there, and uh, Kelowna. So just as long as you get me to either of those two cities, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> so talk about how, how the face of airline uh, the airline industry has changed in Canada, because let's face it, uh, for decades, every time you heard a business report, an earnings report, it was typically not very good for airlines. They were forever losing money. What's changed? Well, I mean, the airline industry has been a very cyclical, cyclical, whatever the word is, business. It sort of has its ups and downs, and, and mainly because a lot of it is the, the biggest single cost where their travel is fuel. And of course, as everyone, <laughs> as everyone knows, jet fuel, fuel in general, has been going up and down um, for a long time. So as fuel comes down, if air travel uh, prices tend to come down. So that's a big part of it. But the, but the oil industry has been on a high of late. Where Canada has been kind of cheated for a while now is that, that since that, there's, there's a little airline based in Calgary that you may know about, um, that uh, when, when they came on the scene some years ago, they reduced the cost of flying for Canadians, but they've kind of uh, 
they've kind of uh, been steadily increasing in their fares now to the point that Canada has just got really two major airlines, which kind of has held Canadians hostage for a while as far as uh, the cost of air travel is concerned. So what we're doing is we're trying to set the clock back a little bit and bring in a really low fare, low fare ticket prices for, for Canadians to get pretty much wherever they want. Um, and, uh, and and so the, the, the big difference with that is that, that what's enabled lower fares is what's called de- debundling. The, the old model used to be um, one where you would pay for stuff that you didn't really want. If you wanted to take a, a, a check bag, then, then it was people thought it was it was free. If you wanted to have a drink on board, wow, it's free. But if you didn't want those things, you were paying for them anyway. So they were never really free. They were all sort of it was kind of a, a prefix mode. So uh, the industry has slowly, well, outside of Canada, in, uh, in all over the world, pretty much except for Canada, the industry has been going to this mode of, of a la carte air ticket pricing. So if you want to take a bag and you want to check it, then you'll pay for it. If you want something to eat on board, you'll pay for it. If you don't want those things, if you don't value those things, you don't have to pay for them. And that's what's managed to bring the cost of air travel down. And, and what's what it's the way that Flair works. So if you don't want it, you don't pay for it. Chairman of Flair Airlines, David Tate, joins us on 680 CJOB. You used a D word there, David, debundling. I'm going to use another one, disruption, and that is uh, something that every uh, skip the dishes, every app on the your available for your iPhone or your Android device is trying to do. Uh, Amazon, uh, probably the king of disruption, and that's to change how we do things. How is Flair being a disruptor in this uh, in this travel game? Well, we, we, we're not. We're, we're an all jet service, so you're not paying for. A, if you pay for a lower price, you don't get a, a, a smaller, um, tight-seated, um, propeller-driven airplane or whatever. So um, that's 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 one major thing for a lot of people. We're not cramming you in there. I heard somebody talking earlier about cramped cramped in air seats. We we have we have very comfortable seating, so you're not packed in like sardines, which is the way that some some of the lower cost. Uh, carriers in 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 the U.S. in in Europe, they'll 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 pack you in to get the fares down. We we don't do that. We have comfortable uh, leather seats that are. I've got plenty. I'm six foot three. I'm very happy traveling on our own airline. Um, so 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 the the, the, the it's 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 a model that is changing dramatically. Uh, it's just where they, most people are in kind of a transition mode now because they remember how things used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we can get you, for instance, this 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 weekend, uh, still this holiday weekend coming up, we can still get you to, well, what's an example? We can get you from Winnipeg to Victoria round trip, leaving Thursday, coming back Monday for under $400, which is, is, is pretty darn good value. Without question. So, you know, before we let you go here, this uh, we know that you spent some time. Well, I know, but our listeners probably may not know that uh, you were Richard Branson's right-hand man. And, and how did Virgin Airlines change uh, the airline industry, not only in Europe, but, but ac- across the globe? Well, we, we, we put in a service, you know, this, we brought in, it wasn't Virgin Atlantic, which is what I started with Branson, um, wasn't, it was a long haul, we flew from London to, to New York was our first route, and we flew that with just one airplane for, for a couple of years, and it was really all about, about people service, we, we gave low fares, but we treated our, our customers, our passengers, really, really well, which back then was, was pretty revolutionary stuff, you know, airlines at the time hadn't figured out that if you're, if you're nice to your customers, they're more likely to come back, you know, go figure. <laughs> uh, 
passengers actually like getting smiled at and ridiculous stuff like that. Right. So it was it was all about it was all about sort of inexpensive um, but 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 nice service. People talked. We were the first people to put seat back videos and stuff in in, in our airplanes in every seat. But what people still talked about was how 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 nice we were to them on board. I hate the word nice, but for want of a better word, um, and and that's what's that's that's what made that airline was our people. I don't care what business you're in, your people are really your product, and that's the way we're looking at it at Flair. We, wanna, we want people to come back to fly with us again, not just for the low fare, because they, can't, but because they like what we do with them. We like, they like who we are, and, and, um, and we're going to be expanding shortly from Winnipeg. We haven't announced it as yet, but we'll be flying south of the border as well to, to you know, if you want to visit uh, a famous mouse or something, we can, we'll, we'll be able to get you there. Not giving anything away here. No, not at all. Not at all. Only two <laughs> options there. So, you know, it's a 50-50 at this point. <laughs> David, this has been uh, a very enjoyable chat. And imagine that hospitality being uh, the focus of a business that intends to be successful. I like your chances with that strategy, being a hospitality guy for an awfully long time. Appreciate this chat. I uh, hope we can do this again sometime. Okay, look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, David. David Tate, he is the chairman of Flair Airlines. Have I got him on hold now, Jerry? Thank you. I, you know I don't usually sit in this chair. I'm sitting in Brett's chair this morning. So all the flashing lights and everything are brand new to me, even though they're not. I sat in this chair for many a year, but you get out of the routine. They give it to Keenan LaFrance, and he's in for the touchdown. Keenan LaFrance has his first touchdown as a Blue Bomber, and the Bombers now have 55 points. Yeah, the convert would make it 56, 56, 10, the final Friday night in Montreal. The Blue Bombers over the Alouettes. The Bombers even their record at 1-1. One and one. And because of all the other things that happened in the Canadian Football League this weekend, the Blue Bombers are tied with Saskatchewan. They're tied with Edmonton at 1-1. One and one. Calgary wins. They go to... They go to two and oh. Bob Irving joins us now. And Bob, I have a question yes. for you. Yeah. Well, I have I several. Agree. Good morning, my friend. Yeah. Um, when's the last time three gentlemen born in Winnipeg scored touchdowns in the same game for the Winnipeg Football Club? Well, that's a very good question. And the answer might be never. I'm not sure. Um, we'd have to, I think, go back to the 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe, to see that sort of uh, result. But it was. Uh, Quite a unique feature of that win on Friday night. Without question. Chris Streveler, uh, the talk of the town, without question what he did on Friday night. Uh, catching some people by surprise, but not everyone. Well, I don't think we expected him to be this good, Greg. You know, he looked good in training camp and the preseason, the first game, he looked really sharp. And I know everybody on the Bombers said he'll be fine. You know, he's going to do a nice job. He's processing things very well. He's learning the game very quickly. Going into the game Friday, he was okay in the first game against Edmonton. Three touchdown passes, did a nice job. I think we all gave him an A for that, given how, uh, you know, little preparation he had and how what a short time he's been here. So going into the game in Montreal, we're thinking the one thing the Owls have or appear to have is a better defense than they had last year. So this will be a really good test for Streveler and the Bombers. Well, all they do is roll up 36 first downs and 588 yards of offense, Greg. I mean, those are just mind-boggling numbers. Uh, and Streveler was the the guy driving the bus. So, yeah, he's been uh, he's been everything the Bombers could hope for and way more. 
You know, when the Bombers were doing their most of their winning last season, they did a terrific job of controlling the clock. They did that again on Friday night. Well, the first possession they had, they kept the ball for seven and a half minutes, drove it almost 100 yards. They settled for a field goal, but that takes the air out of the other team a little bit, you know, and uh, and so that was the, a great start for the Bombers, and it kind of set the tone, I think, for the game. And as much as we give Streveler all kinds of credit, and we should, the game plan, Greg, to me, that Paul Lapolis drew up, used the strengths of Streveler to the utmost and the, you know, the motion they had, they just had Montreal's defense having no idea what was coming next. And so it was a brilliant game plan. You know, uh, throughout the game, uh, I heard you and Doug commenting on, on that fact that you just love the way Paul LaPolice drew up the game plan for Strevler. We have been talking uh, since we introduced uh, fans to Chris Strevler well before training camp, before minicamp. In fact, we spoke about how he had over 4,400 yards passing at South Dakota last year, almost 900 yards rushing. And that ratio came to fruition a little bit Friday night as uh, Strevler was the Blue Bombers leading Russia, Paul LaPolice kind of giving Streveler the opportunity to settle into the game. Was that your perception? That was certainly mine. Well, what he did, sure, I agree with that. And what he did, Greg, is he, he used the tools that Streveler has. And one of them is his ability to run. And, you know, Mike Sherman, the coach of the Alouettes, said to us on Thursday when he had his availability, he said, we know this kid can run. Well, they may have known that, but they certainly weren't prepared to deal with it because uh, Strebler ran some quarterback draws. I think he ad-libbed a couple of times, 98 yards rushing on 10 carries, and that was a huge part of throwing uh, the Montreal defense off. So, yeah, it was an overall tremendous performance by Strebler, by everybody on offense. And I want to talk about the offensive line a bit too, Greg. I, I'm not so sure this isn't the best offensive line in the CFL. Man, these guys are good. Uh, you know, they do a great job of uh, opening up holes for the running game and, more importantly, of protecting the quarterback. And, you know, you watch Drew Willie get uh, pounded to death uh, by the bomber defensive front on Friday, and here's Strebler getting all kinds of time. And, and for a rookie quarterback, man, he couldn't ask for anything more. Tristan Okopalugo had an outstanding game for the Bombers if we want to just look at the defense for a split second here. Yeah, he sure did, and there was, I don't know how many times somebody came off the edge for the Bombers on defense, one of their ends, unblocked, and again, you know, you wonder what Montreal was doing or what their game plan was, but Opal Hugo, it was, yeah, he was all over the place, he was a one-man wrecking crew. So the Bombers now look ahead to Hamilton this Friday night, and uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats go into Edmonton. They certainly didn't shock the world, but they certainly uh, likely shocked the Edmonton Eskimos and their fans at Commonwealth. Well, the Tiger Cats have played two games, Greg, both on the road, one in Calgary, the one in Edmonton, and they, they handed the Eskimos quite a beating the other night, and they could have beaten Calgary, so... They've been impressive in the early going. Mazzoli, their quarterback, has been outstanding. Their defense is going to be, you know, we said this about Montreal, it, it for sure is going to be a stiffer test for Streveler and the Bomber offense on Friday night in Hamilton. The, the Tiger Cats look good. They look like uh, 
uh, maybe the best team in the East. I know Ottawa had an impressive win over Saskatchewan, but Hamilton looks really good, and Mazzoli is really, really playing great at quarterback. Well, he's got uh, that uh, Johnny guy sitting on the bench <laughs> holding the clipboard that might be uh, encouraging him to play his best ball. The coaches show tonight, 7-8, till eight. Uh, you and the coach uh, in studio here. Could the term quarterback controversy be uttered uh, between 7 and 8 by either you or one of the listeners uh, calling in tonight? Well, it won't be uttered by me, but I expect, <laughs> I expect a listener might. No, look, Matt Nichols is still the quarterback here. Uh, you know, I, people have said to me, well, what if Strebler plays great the next two games and the Bombers win? What do they do when Nichols is ready? And my answer very quickly is they play Matt Nichols. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any quarterback controversy, but uh, it does create an interesting scenario here where you've got a young quarterback who clearly, who clearly, uh, can get things done, and that's a wonderful position for the Bombers to be in. Well, we'll see what happens Friday night, as our friend Doug Brown likes to say. Three makes a trend. So Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> we I can, agree with him. <laughs> I agree with him as well. Bob, thanks for this, and uh, everyone uh, waiting for tonight's Coaches Show from 7 till 8. We'll uh, catch up with you later. As always, we appreciate your time. Thanks, Greg. No problem. Bob Irving, the voice of the Blue Bombers, the legendary voice of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. One more time between 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock tonight. Mike O'Shea and Bob Irving on the Coach's Show. Garth Rogerson is the CEO of the Red River Exhibition Association. Uh, not too many cloudy days over the run of the X uh, this year, Garth. No, it was very hot. That's Very hot. <laughs> Does that translate into good things for you, Garth? Well, you know, I was, I, I, you know, for the last few years, I've been wishing for uh, some warm weather, and then I really got it this past week. And I was actually sitting in my office hoping for a little bit of rain. I couldn't oh, even believe wits. I was thinking it. You know? <laughs> it How dare so you, sir? <laughs> no, it was incredibly hot. We had a few days, you know, just extreme heat. Our medical right. people were running off their feet trying to keep people hydrated and cool so it, it was a bit we had a few challenging a uh, few challenging days and of course a big storm came through on friday so that didn't help as well but no we're gonna after we came off of nine days of rain last year so uh you know anything's going to be up and and we we were up for sure this year but not as much as you would think because of the weather but i can tell you snow cones uh record sales of snow cones <laughs> no you don't eat stuff on a stick while bouncing on a pogo stick no, no, do you, do garth that, no. no that's good <laughs> so uh when we look at the at the red river x and and the effect and the role that it plays in the summer that really you know a lot of people say this marks the kickoff to summer and i agree with them wholeheartedly whether it's according to the calendar or not it, it's really an institution and and this Red River, action, uh, Red River exhibition, this iteration of it is what I'm trying to say, Garth, is really evolving uh, as we speak, is it not? Oh, yes. We're, we're including a lot, lot more family programming, and uh, we're going to open a brand new area of the park uh, next year, the Enchanted Forest. So really creating a lot of programming for families to enjoy together. Um, you know, and it's not like the old days where, where a kid, you know, would just be a kiddie show. It's the shows that, that the whole family can enjoy. So mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and everybody can just have a fun time. So Garth, for those that don't know and don't understand, because I'll put my hand up, I don't really understand how the exhibition works, who runs it, uh, what sort of setup is it? Is it a non-profit? Give us some insight into the, into the organization sure. overall, the Red River Exhibition Association. Right. Well, the association is here year-round, and uh, we own River Exhibition Park. So, you know, we have trade shows throughout the uh, throughout the year, all kinds of things going on. And, 
you know, the b- next big thing we have coming up is the Lights of the North Festival that you're going to hear lots about coming up uh, end of August. Very exciting. Uh, that'll take over half the park. So we have a, a lot of events going on year-round. We're a nonprofit organization, and, and we work with a lot of community organizations and do just a wide variety of things throughout the whole year. How big is the park? How long, much big is the property that you own? And are there, are there plans for other things there long term? Oh, yeah. yeah the, the, uh, we own a 415 acres here. And the actual fairgrounds that people would have visited this past week is 100 acres. So, you know, that's, that's a huge parcel of land. And we intend over the years to double that size as we start to grow out with different activities. But we also have a, a retail center we're working on along Portage Avenue. So we're starting... Possibly this fall, but for sure in the spring, you're going to see some stores going up there and restaurants and hotels and so forth. And we're building a business park as well. So there's a whole bunch of different things going on within the property. What will that revenue from those developments allow you to do as an exhibition? Right. Well, so we don't receive any government funding. So that's unusual in North America. Most fair organizations get all kinds of uh, funding. You know, and for example, the Calgary Stampede gets over $20 million from the province a year. We don't get any of that. And that's fine. We're not uh, asking for it. But what, we, what we're doing is building a business, you know, that the outside of the fair that can create revenue so we can push it back into the fair and make it much larger and much better. A lot of people lament the fact that we don't have a year-round amusement park. Of course, Tinkertown does a great job to fill that void. But a lot of people point to Callaway Park, uh, you know, on a mid-scale and say, you know, if Calgary could have something like that with the lousy weather that they have in the summer in Alberta, and of course that's tongue-in-cheek, but it's certainly not a Manitoba summer. Has there ever been any thought of of having uh, an amusement park uh, on your property that's that's, close? closer to a, an all-summer sort of setup? I think about it all the time. No, I, I, you know, I go down every year to a convention, um, the same convention that the Walt Disney folks go to, and I, I marvel at the rides and look at all the different things that we could build out here. Uh, the challenge is population base, and we, we just don't have a very large... You know, if we had over a million people living in Winnipeg, uh, you know, we could sustain something like that. But I'm, I'm moving, or we're moving closer to that point um, with the development of the park. You're going to see over the next couple of years uh, a couple of things... Uh, built that are going to start moving us in that direction. But, you know, when you consider one ride alone costs over a million dollars, and then, of course, the maintenance cost of it, you know, to build an amusement park is a huge amount of money. Absolutely it is. Well, Garth, thanks for this, and and thanks for uh, talking about uh, some other things as it pertains to Red River X and some of the future plans and projects. Let's not wait until June to have you back. Let's uh, visit uh, throughout the summer and over the winter as well. uh, Sounds great. Lots Lots of exciting things to tell you. uh, You know what? And you took the words right out of my mouth. I should have let you say it it for yourself. (laughs) Garth, thanks for this as always, and and congratulations. We look forward to getting the exact numbers from you. When can we expect those? Uh, Probably later today, actually. Right on. We'll keep an eye open for those. Thanks again, Garth. You bet. All right. You bet. Garth Rogerson, he is the CEO of the Red River Exhibition Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Did you get out to the X yourself? Would love to hear from you. 780-6868, your take on it. Take on the changes that have taken place over the years. And Garth giving us a little bit of insight on some of the things that we might see on their 400 acre. I bet you didn't realize it was that big. I know I didn't. Acre piece of property. I remember when the X was right here at Pola Park and it would pour into... uh, Alexander Park and the Velodrome, and they'd have shows there, and of course, all around the the stadium, uh, maybe 30 acres here. So it's absolutely uh, massive in comparison. 
Getting to learn a little bit about our next guest, Lindsay Perkins with Nature Manitoba in studio with us. Many of the flowers have bloomed in our city. Others not too far away. I'd say most of them are in bloom by now. Soon you'll have an opportunity to explore some of the most stunning gardens in our city. Nature Manitoba putting on their annual garden tour on July 7th. That's coming up in just about a week and a half now. To tell us more about the event, we are joined in studio, as I said, by Nature Manitoba's Lindsay Perkins. Lindsay, good morning. Good morning. We were talking off air about collecting and all the different things that we do when we're not working, uh, our little (laughs) side passions and stuff. And I confess to you that I was watering my flowers at 3.30 this morning before I came to work, and I I quite enjoy it. Gardening, not so much. I let Jackie (laughs) plant the flowers. I'll do the odd deadheading, but I make sure that uh, the flowers get enough water. It's really been an incredible growing season so far with all the heat that we've had. If you're keeping your flowers watered, they are growing beautifully. You bet. Yeah. And we have some really fantastic gardens in the city. And, um, you know, talking about collecting, some of these gardeners have been collecting plants for decades. So this is a really cool way to go and explore some of the most beautiful gardens in Manitoba or in Winnipeg, I should say. We're not, we're not Outside the Pushing perimeter the boundaries yet. that far, yeah. Well, you know, you never know what might happen. Now, tell us before we learn a little bit more about this event, our natural garden tour, tell us a little bit about Nature, Nature Manitoba. I had no idea your history was so extensive. It's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty um, old uh, organization that's been around since 1920. So we're coming up on 100 years in 2020. Um, back then, it was the Natural History Society of Manitoba, Um, We were one of the founding groups that started the um, what we know today as the Manitoba Museum and uh, one of the groups that actually was integral in protecting Manitoba's tall grass prairies back in the 80s. So we do still um, protect 880 acres of uh, Manitoba tall grass prairie in southeastern Manitoba. And that's just one of the things that uh, this fundraiser will go toward um, is, you know, we do have to pay property tax on that property and administration costs, all that kind of stuff. What's the benefit uh, for those that might be wondering? What's the benefit of of preserving uh, a large acreage of of tall grass prairie like that? Why do it? Um, Well, there's a variety of different reasons. Um, There's, you know, just the intrinsic reason that Mm -hmm. this is uh, a part of our landscape that has been here for forever. And there's less than, I think, 2% of tall grass prairie left um, in Canada, I believe. Um, So it is, there's that reason, as well as there's a lot of different uh, species that rely on certain types of habitat. So the tall grass prairie, animal species. That's right, animal right. species, um, bird species. We do a lot of work with um, some different birding organizations in the city. Um, we so we work to discover what kinds of uh, species are relying on those types of uh, habitats, things like that. And it's just a really great place also to go down and to wander through and see sort of 
this like moment in time that's sort of frozen in what our province looked like once back in the day. So, you know, we talk about soccer and hockey and, and uh, watching the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, as being a popular pastimes, but nothing's more popular than gardening. I mean, people love to garden. And as far as I know, it is the number one pastime in Canada for Canadians of all ages. And you mentioned the tall grass prairie. I'm noting, noticing a lot lot of people going back and integrating those tall grasses into their gardens. They weren't necessary. You kind of got rid of those things, right? Because they weren't exotic enough. Well, irony strikes. And here we are bringing back tall grasses and, and some of these things that are native to Manitoba for a distinctive look in your, in your home garden. That's right. And not only is it a distinctive look, but it also, like I said, brings those species into your yard. So we have one of our gardens is actually a monarch way station. So oh, wow. it's certified as a place for monarchs to sort of stop on their um, on their journey. What's on their, the key plant there? Um, monarchs, particularly uh, milkweed, is the big one for monarchs. I understand milkweed. If you don't get it from the garden centers, like when they get it, you're probably going to be... Out of luck. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what, uh, like where it's available in the city. Uh, there are a couple places for sure, but I'm not sure how how often you can get your hands on okay, it. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a it's a really beautiful plant, and it's also uh, one that is particular to that species. So we do have, um, you know, a few different gardens that people. People do work in those native plants as well as we have some other ones that are not particular to Manitoba sure. as well. So we have some really cool gardens, like there's a moon garden. A what? A moon garden, yeah, uh, if you've uh, never heard of that. Yeah, well, hopefully it's not a bunch of people uh, <laughs> standing it's around not, with their <laughs> pants around their ankles. It's not hedges <laughs> trimmed in a certain way, no. <laughs> It's a, what is it? Then? A moon garden is actually a garden where all the plants are um, are white, so they all oh, bloom really? white. Oh, yeah, wow! So just something like that—that's a little bit different. You can hopefully, if you come on the tour, you can actually get inspired to do some kind of unique and creative things in your garden as well. It's great to get an opportunity, right? You see all these great gardens in the front, but a lot of people, the magic is in the backyard, right? So you get to go behind the fences. So how can people get involved in this? How can they get tickets and, and make sure they get in on these tours? What do they do? Okay, so the tickets are $15. And again, all pro- proceeds go toward uh, our programs. And uh, the the tour is July 7th from 10 to 4 p.m. Um, you'll, there's 10 private gardens that you can visit. And then we also have a reception with light refreshments and a plant sale uh, at Enderton Park, also known as Peanut Park. Oh, I um, Peanut Park. Yeah, so that's another uh, sort of benefit to the tour. You can get tickets on our website. It's naturemanitoba.ca. And that's right on the homepage of our website. Or you can find it on our Facebook page. It's pinned to the top of our Facebook page. Two gardens on this list here. Two gardens on Winnipeg's quote-unquote best street for gardens. Do we have to uh, buy a ticket to find out or will you tell us what street that is? I can tell you what street 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 that is. is. Um, It's Ethelbert 
in oh, Wolseley. You yeah. know what? I might have actually <laughs> guessed Ethelbert. Uh, Brett McGarry, if he was here, he would tell you that Ethelbert, I told him once upon a time, if I could move back to the West End slash Wolseley, that's, I would only move to Wolseley or the West End if I could get a house on Ethelbert because <laughs> I think that's an amazing street. So check it out south of Wolseley, I guess, between or, or the whole thing. Um, well, that one was particularly noted as the best street by love Winnipeg it. and Bloom, but we Fantastic. have two gardens on that street. Love it, love it. One more time, the website. It's naturemanitoba.ca. Lindsay Perkins, come back and see us again sometime. It was lovely to meet you. Thank you for this. Thank you for having me. I'm Greg Mackling for Behind the Glass. Jerry, thank you for spending part of your week with us. Na, 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 na.